Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host. Today, what I'd like to talk about is misfire diagnostic strategies. And, uh, of course, we deal with misfires a lot working on vehicles. It's a very common thing to run into. I've been seeing quite a bit of this lately, uh, doing some mobile diagnostics and uh, just had some thoughts on this. Um, you know, I go through this with my class at the college too, um, just to get the students ready to tackle any misfire that they might run into, um, have a plan, you know, have a way to approach uh, an engine that's misfiring and be able to diagnose exactly what's causing it. So it's kind of what I'm going to run through today, and I'll uh, bring up some case studies of recent vehicles as well, just to show examples of how I use the techniques and the process in order to figure out what's wrong. So, you know, like I said, most of us have dealt with quite a few misfires. Um, they've been around as long as engines have been around. And so some of this might be common knowledge, might be something that you're already well aware of. And to be totally honest, some of you probably have a uh, better, more efficient, more accurate strategy than I do or process that I do uh, to actually figure out what's going on with these misfires. And I completely understand that. But what I want to do is share my view, my perspective, and my strategy when I'm tackling one of these problems, one of these misfires. So uh, that being said, hopefully you pick something up from this. Uh, if nothing else, feel free to share uh, you know, your perspective and your strategy uh, on the Facebook group, which I always have a link to the Facebook group uh, in the show notes for every episode. So check that out. So first things first, real quick, I think we all know what a misfire is, but just in case, uh, let's just define what a misfire is. I, I simply define this as anything that prevents a cylinder from completing the four-stroke cycle, right? So we have our intake compression power exhaust, something that prevents that from happening, uh, and there's a lot of possibilities, that would be a misfire. Now, of course, this applies to a single cylinder or maybe multiple cylinders. If it's the whole engine, that's called a no start. Uh, we don't really refer to that as a misfire, but a misfire is going to occur while the rest of the engine is still contributing to crankshaft speed. And now you have a cylinder that is just going along for the ride or a piston that's just going along for the ride that is being pulled along by the crankshaft by the other power strokes that are actually happening. Okay. And so again, we can have a lot of reasons why this does not occur. And that's why it can be a challenge for us to diagnose what's actually happening because a misfire, if you want to look at it this way, is the effect of another problem, right? It is the symptom of something else that's wrong. And, you know, the computer identifies it, the customer identifies it, we identify it as a technician, their symptoms, of course, we'll talk about those, but there's another problem. There's a cause to the effect. And that's our goal is to figure out what's the cause of the misfire. What is slowing down that crankshaft? Now, a lot of times, if it's a dead hole, right, meaning that this thing is consistently misfiring all the time, there's no power strokes occurring on that particular cylinder, 
it's usually pretty straightforward as far as figuring out what's wrong. But we do run into some that maybe are intermittent or maybe a little bit more challenging. And even if it is a dead hole, I think there are ways that we can improve our efficiency and accuracy to get to the answer quicker. A lot of different ways that we can look at the same problems that we've been seeing for years and years. Maybe there's a new test, a new tool, just a new way to think about it to get us to the answer quicker. So that's kind of the things that I'm going to be talking about today as we go through this. So the first thing that I want to consider when I'm looking at a engine that's misfiring is, is this a single cylinder that's misfiring? Maybe multiple as in two or three cylinders that are misfiring, or is this the entire engine that's misfiring? Now, again, I said, if all of them are misfiring at once, that's a no start, but you can have random misfires throughout the entire engine, right? That, that P0300 counts up on every cylinders. Is this something that is affecting the entire engine operation, not just one single cylinder? Of course, that's going to change the way we tackle this. And I guess I'm not really talking about that today, um, but it is one of the first things that I want to determine, obviously, which cylinder is misfiring or is it more than one cylinder that's misfiring? And that's really going to send me in one direction or another, right? If it's a single cylinder, I'm not looking at a mass airflow sensor as a potential. But if it's the entire engine, maybe I am looking at the mass airflow. Okay, so I want to make that determination. If it's one bank of a V-style engine, maybe I'm looking at a cam phaser or VVT solenoid or timing that's out, something like that. Maybe an converter, an O2 sensor, something like that, that would cause an entire bank to misfire. Okay. So again, we're going to look at which cylinder is missing. Is it a single cylinder? Is it a whole bank or is it a whole engine? Which one's misfiring? So that's one of the first things that I want to determine. And that brings me to my next point, which is how do we identify which cylinder is misfiring? Okay. Let's say maybe it, it is only a single cylinder misfire. And that's going to be the main focus of what I talk about today is single cylinder misfires. But how do we identify which one is misfiring? Of course, there are a lot of different ways to do this. And I'll run through a few here. You're probably familiar with some of these. Of course, the code itself in you know in OBD2 vehicles, uh, you're going to have AP0301, 302, 303, so on and so forth, corresponding to the cylinder that the PCM perceives as the misfiring cylinder. And I mean, don't ignore these codes. <laughs> Most of the time, they're going to lead you to the right cylinder, and that's the one you need to zero in on. But do keep in mind, sometimes a computer gets it wrong, and we'll talk about that as we go. But that's one way we can identify the misfiring cylinder. Um, some vehicles have misfire counters in the data stream. If you go into the PCM with the scan tool on the factory side, you won't necessarily find this on global. I'll put an asterisk there and come back to it. But if you want to see the live misfire counters that I'm talking about right now, you need to go into the factory side. GM has traditionally been the best on this because they've had them since 96, since OBD2. Um, you go in and you have current misfire counters, which are live happening right now, and you have history misfire counters, which is something that happened in the past. So maybe it's not missing right now. Man, those history misfire counters, they are so helpful. I would say General Motors vehicles are one of the easiest to diagnose misfires because of that. I wish every manufacturer had that. And some do. Some have live counters. I can't think any off the top of my head that have history counters as well. I'm sure there are examples of that. But if you got those counters, use them. Um, again, there are 
exceptions to where the computer can get it wrong even then, right? Uh, one example I can think of, especially in GM vehicles, I've seen this a number of times. If you got a dead hole on one cylinder, uh, right? You got a cylinder that's not firing, not contributing at all. Depending on the engine, depending on the scenario, you can actually have misfires count up on the cylinder after the one that has a dead hole, right? So, and what I mean by after is the next cylinder in the firing order, which may not actually be misfiring, but the misfire that is occurring has slowed down the crankshaft enough to uh, not trick the PCM, but the PCM doesn't understand or it doesn't perceive that the next cylinder actually did fire uh, because the crank had decelerated so much. And I've seen that happen before. So just be aware of that if you've got, you've got a dead hole, you've identified, okay, this is a dead hole and there's misfires on other cylinders that are next in the firing order. Just keep that in mind that they may not be the problem. You need to zero in on that dead hole. So just something that I've run into before. Of course, there's other examples of scan tool functions that allow us to identify the proper cylinder. Uh, One of my favorites, and (laughs) I wish I had this way back. I only had access to it when I finally bought an Autel. It's the power balance graph function in the Fords. Um, I actually really, really like this function. Of course, it's a IDS, the factory scan tool function, but uh, Autel and Launch do a pretty good job of copying it exactly. And what it is basically is just a graph that is going to show you the RPM change for each cylinder, right? So meaning that if you had a cylinder that didn't have its power stroke, it would decelerate the crankshaft and it will draw a line for you to show you, okay, cylinder four actually brought the RPM of the engine, decelerated the crankshaft by this much. And it is a great visual representation of what's going on in the engine, right? And so, and it's live too. It's it's continually going over and over again. You can see basically the dropout, that's your cylinder that's misfiring. So uh, really, really useful, especially for intermittent misfires, uh, something that's not happening all the time. You can catch it and, you know, you either you don't have a code to zero you in on a cylinder, or you don't want to wait for that code to set. And you know, that's something we run into too, is I don't want to wait and drive this thing around for a P0303 to set. You know, maybe it's only an every once in a while misfire. Um, it may take a while for the, that code to set, or maybe you're only setting a P0300. Again, again, that's a possibility as well. The 300 is just random misfire. Could be happening on any cylinder. The computer's not sure. Uh, you can use a graph like that to, to figure out, okay, it's cylinder four, I'm going after cylinder four. Uh, mode six is another way, and that's the asterisk that I put about you can't get misfire counters in OBD2. Uh, mode six can help you identify which cylinders were misfiring on the last drive cycle. And the limitation here, of course, is it's not live. Uh, you'd have to continually refresh this and cycle the key if you wanted updated data. But if you don't have counters and you don't have a code to go off of, this is a tool that will allow you to see which cylinder was misfiring and how many misfires. Because what can happen here is 
you can have a misfire that happens, occurs on a cylinder, but it doesn't happen enough time to pass the threshold for the computer to set a code for misfire indicating a specific cylinder. But if you go into the mode six data on m- most vehicles, it's you can't find this in everything, or at least I haven't had luck finding this in everything. But if you go into the mode six data, you can break it down by individual cylinder and you can find the threshold, the limit, which I think OBD2 is around 65,000. I mean, that's a lot of misfires to set a code, right? If it's a dead hole, that won't take long. But if it's intermittent, it may not reach that value. So, but it will show you the actual test value, how many times it did miss in the last drive cycle. Okay. So again, not live though. Keep that in mind. This is not live data. It is from the last, or maybe it's the current drive cycle, but either way, when you're looking at that data, it's fixed. It's not going to change even if that that cylinder is misfiring, but might zero you in on what cylinder you need to look at. So check out that mode six data. Of course, that's in global OBD2 uh, side. There are some scan tools that will allow you to access the OBD2 through the factory side. Chrysler comes to mind because they don't have misfire counters, or at least on most of their stuff that I can think of, they don't have misfire counters. But if you're on the factory side of the tool, in like a launch or an autel, it will actually allow you to access OBD2 uh, data through there, meaning the misfires. And actually says in there, includes which cylinder is misfiring. So really, really helpful, points it out for you. So check that out if you're working on some Chrysler Mopar stuff. One other way that we can identify which cylinder is misfiring, uh, try to figure out who is the culprit here, um, is a manual power balance test. And this is actually built into some scan tools as well. If it is, use the scan tool and it's just going to allow you to disable injectors one by one. And what you're doing is you're seeing, does the RPM, does the speed of the engine uh, drop when we kill a cylinder? Because that's the goal. If you have a contributing cylinder that is firing properly and now you take away its power stroke, the engine should change in RPM. It should drop, it should decelerate, it should start shaking. If it doesn't, that means that cylinder was not contributing, right? So we can do this through the scan tool or we can do it manually, meaning unplugging uh, fuel injectors is my preferred method. You can do coils if that's your only option, but just keep in mind that uh, you're going to be loading the converter up with fuel, which especially on the high mileage stuff that I work on, I try to avoid that because man, I've seen some converters melt down very quickly uh, when they're getting raw fuel dumped into them. So I prefer to do injectors if possible. I realize that's not always possible. But really, again, what we're doing is we're killing a cylinder, right? We are disabling that cylinder. We're creating a misfire and we want to see that the engine speed drops because if that was a good cylinder, it was contributing, that when we take it away, we see a drop. If that cylinder was already misfiring, okay, there's already a problem and now we're taking away something else from it and it doesn't change, we know, okay, that cylinder was misfiring. It wasn't contributing to the crankshaft because when I disabled it, it didn't change the speed of the crankshaft. That's my cylinder. So depending on what you're working on, you know, if you're limited on the scan tool side of things, or maybe it's an older vehicle, right? We still see stuff pre-OBD2 and we had to do things the manual way. Um, that is one option is the manual power balance. And I remember using that a lot on Ford's before I knew about mode six data, before I had access to a power balance graph and the codes weren't helping me and I would just unplug injectors and monitor the engine RPM as I did it. Uh, The one time where this does get kind of tricky though, is if you don't have a dead hole, meaning it is not 
consistently misfiring. If it's an intermittent misfire and it's only happening every once in a while, this power balance function is not going to be the best. It's not going to be very helpful. Um, basically because the cylinder that is misfiring is still contributing sometimes to the engine and other times not. And if you disable it completely, well, even if you find the cylinder that is sometimes contributing, well, now it's not at all. There's going to be a drop and it can be hard to identify it that way. So you'll have to use one of the other methods if it is an intermittent misfire, if it's not occurring all the time. And that brings me to my next point is when is the misfire actually occurring? That's one of the other things I want to consider as I go into my diagnosis is when does this happen? Of course, like I said, if it's a dead hole, it's always missing. Most of the time we can figure that out pretty easily. <laughs> but there are many times where a misfire only occurs under a certain condition, right? Is it only at idle? You know, maybe, maybe this is a vacuum leak or maybe this is a valve issue. If we're talking single cylinder misfire, vacuum leak would, of course, be the entire engine. Is it under load only? Only when we're accelerating heavy load on the engine, increasing that cylinder pressure, maybe a secondary ignition component, right? That's always been the traditional way that it's gone. If we see a miss under load, I'm looking at ignition because it increases the resistance for that spark to jump the gap. And if it finds an easier path through the boot or through the coil, it's going to do that. Is this only on a cold start? I start to think, uh, you know, is this a GDI engine, right? So carbon buildup on the valve, stuff like that. Um, maybe a head gasket that's leaking down as the vehicle sits and it misfires first at a startup and then smooths out after it burns off the coolant that's in there. That's a possibility. So these are just examples, of course, but I want to know when is this cylinder actually misfiring? That might lead me to the components that I need to check or the tests that I need to run based on when the misfire occurs. The next thing I want to cover was some of the symptoms that we experience or that we use to identify if an engine is actually misfiring. And I'm working towards a point here, but I want to bring this up first is what do we see, feel, experience about the engine when it's misfiring that allows us as technicians or maybe the driver of the vehicle, the customer to know, hey, something's wrong here. The engine is misfiring at some point or another, whether it's intermittent or dead hole. And of course, you know, again, this is pretty basic stuff, but we feel the shake in the engine, right? We actually feel the de the deceleration of the crankshaft. And we're using that in the power balance to help us. Um, but that's what occurs with the misfire. You feel it in the body of the vehicle. You feel it in the steering wheel when you're accelerating. Uh, if you put your hand on top of the engine, you feel that vibration that it creates by the change in crankshaft speed. Um, one of the methods I always use as a quick check is if you open the driver's door and have it actually, you know, open from the vehicle, put your hand on the top of the door as the engine's running. And if it misfires, I'll tell you what, it acts like an amplifier for that vibration when the door is extended out from the vehicle. And you can feel it in most vehicles that I've experienced, you know, even with engine mounts that are um, working well, you can feel that vibration in the door of the vehicle when it's open. Okay. This is just something that I happened to stumble upon, uh, you know, after years of looking at cars that were misfiring and stuff. And it's not going to tell you a whole lot, <laughs> but um, if you're just looking to see, is this thing misfiring or not? You can actually feel it in the door. So give that a shot and see what you think. 
course, a uh, flashing check engine lights, a dead giveaway. I think most of us are aware of that. OBD2 vehicles, catalyst damaging misfire. You're going to see the check engine light blinking on the dash. There may be some other type of warning, but that's OBD2 standard. That means there's a misfire. So again, um, one of the questions I always ask my customer if they're bringing it in, the engine light flash or blink at you? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I know there's a misfire at some point. So it's one of the things I'm going to be looking for. But again, I'm sure most of us are aware of that. Uh, one of the other tricks that I know a lot of people are aware of, but if you're not, you should definitely use this is the dollar bill trick. Um, I definitely did not invent this. Uh, my auto instructor told me this many, many years ago when I went through tech school is to take a dollar bill or heck, you can use a piece of paper. Um, but you can take a dollar bill, go to the tailpipe of the vehicle and hold it in a close proximity of the actual tailpipe of the running engine, right? And I'd say, you know, within an inch of the tailpipe, you're still letting exhaust to exit, but your dollar bill is very close. And if the dollar bill actually gets sucked towards the tailpipe and slaps against the tailpipe, you have a misfire, right? And I've used this many, many times, especially in vehicles pre-OBD2, didn't have misfire counters, um, to identify, yes, this engine is definitely misfiring. And the reason this works is when you have a misfire, right, there's no combustion in the cylinder. There's no power stroke. There's no expansion of gases. And so when we compress our air-fuel mixture, and then we're going to decompress it on that power stroke, right? The power stroke, the actual piston movement is going to happen. The piston's going to travel downwards, but you had no pressure buildup. So when the exhaust valve on that cylinder opens, we're about to go on our exhaust stroke, instead of some pressure exiting going into the exhaust, the opposite happens. The pressure in the exhaust now fills that empty cylinder where the power stroke never happened, right? And what will actually happen there is atmospheric pressure and the outside of the tailpipe will then push your dollar bill in towards the actual tailpipe. It'll make a slap noise when that misfire occurs. All right. So this is not going to tell you what cylinder is misfiring, but it will tell you if a misfire is happening. And one thing I will say is if we're working on V8 engines or heck, even a V10 engine, we see these from time to time in big trucks. I remember a Ford uh, just recently that I was looking at was a V10. You can have one cylinder that's misfiring on an eight cylinder or even a 10 cylinder. And man, it really doesn't affect the the smoothness of the engine very much. Now, a four cylinder V6, yeah, I think we can tell just by feeling the engine if it's misfiring. But on one of these multi-cylinder engines like a V8, it's not always so easy, right? And, and here's the other thing too. Some engines just have an unstable idle. I've run into this before too. I think as time has progressed, things run a little bit smoother, but we go back a ways and there's engines that just kind of shake at idle. It's not necessarily a misfire. Um, or maybe they have other, you know, air fuel mixture issues or something like that. But Anyways, what I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is this dollar bill trick, holding it over the tailpipe, it's going to tell you if there's a misfire, regardless of how smooth that engine might seem to be running, because you can't stop that atmospheric pressure from pushing back on the tailpipe when the exhaust valve on the misfiring cylinder opens. Now, the one point where this would not work is if you had a stuck closed exhaust valve. Because then the exhaust valve would never open. It's sure going to cause a misfire, uh, but it would not pull your dollar bill into the tailpipe. Um, the other thing that you'd have to consider here too is if you have um, 
hole in your exhaust somewhere, uh, that's going to limit the ability of this too. But here's the deal about this trick. It's easy to do and it's it's a low cost technique. Not only <laughs> is it only cost a dollar, right? Or a piece of paper, but it doesn't take a whole lot of time to walk back to the vehicle and hold it over the tailpipe. And you listen for that slapping of the dollar bill or the paper and you say, okay, yeah, this thing's got to miss for sure. So uh, just one way that we can identify what's going on there. And that brings me to my next point, of course, is the engine actually misfiring? All right. And, and this all kind of blends together here, but we can have some of these symptoms that present themselves and it might seem like the engine is misfiring, but maybe it isn't. Maybe there is no actual misfire. So what do I mean by that? Let's think about that flashing check engine light, right? That indicates that the PCM has detected that there's catalyst damaging misfire. Well, if you worked on Chevy trucks in the mid 2000s, you, you saw a number of these with the six liter engine and it may have occurred on the 532, but the ones I'm thinking of was the 60. And you'd be driving this thing down the road and that misfire the the check engine light is blinking away like crazy like this thing you know is has a dead hole in it and if you go into the misfire counters four cylinders are actually counting up misfires like crazy but the truck the engine is running as smooth as could be you don't feel a thing okay what's going on here uh, it needed a crankshaft relearn okay so i'm sure many of you have seen this before um and really what that's doing is just giving the PCM, the crankshaft sensor profile, right? Because engines wear, you know, things are going to settle in at, you know, high mileage and it's looking at, you know, the accelerations and the decelerations of the crank via the crankshaft sensor and the cam sensor, of course, but doing this relearn on GMs allows it to be accurate in its diagnosis of misfire and what it's looking at from the crankshaft sensor. So that that was something that fixed it. So an example of the PCM telling you, hey, this thing's misfiring like crazy, but it's not actually happening. We need to use all these different ways to look at the misfires to determine, is it actually happening? And in this case, you could tell because the thing wasn't shaking, had plenty of power, even though the counters are telling us, the light's telling us, not actually misfiring. I had another one that was similar to that. It was a Jeep Grand Cherokee counting misfires on two cylinders consistently. Flashing check engine light says dead hole. And this is at an idle. And I, you know, I'm putting my hand on the engine and it is as smooth as could be. And the shop had messed around with it quite a bit. And I was like, this thing is not misfiring. But the Mode 6 data showed me two cylinders, the check engine light blinking away like crazy. Uh, what we ended up doing on this one was replacing the crankshaft sensor because it was an aftermarket from AutoZone and we put an OE sensor in it, it took care of it. So again, always consider how was the PCM determining that this is misfiring? Well, it's looking at the crankshaft sensor and it's going to compare it to the cam sensor for position to tell which cylinder is misfiring, but it's looking at the acceleration, the deceleration of the sensor to say, this this engine is misfiring or it's not. And, you know, it's one of those garbage in, garbage out. If the sensor is not producing the right signal, uh, the PCM is going to determine that it was misfiring. So another example of where misfire looked like it was present based on some of these symptoms, but not others. 
And I've heard of uh, other things causing this, like even a serpentine belt or belt tensioner. Um, there are other things that cause a vibration to the crankshaft and cause the engine to set misfire codes when there's not. So there are other possibilities there of things that could trick the PCM into setting those codes or moving up those counters. Um, the other thing is, is maybe it doesn't trick the PCM, but maybe it tricks us as technicians. You know, I mentioned the, the just shaky, unstable idle of some engines just as inherent to how they run. Um, you know, you need to use other methods to determine is this thing actually misfiring or not? Uh, one other thing that comes to mind there is I've seen CV axles, uh, Honda, Toyota comes to mind where you go to accelerate the vehicle and this thing has a noticeable shake in the body and the steering wheel. You let off the gas, it goes away. It actually feels a lot like a misfire. But if we use some of the other methods that I've been talking about, um, you can tell the engine's not missing and it's actually in the drive line and it's actually in the CV axles that are causing that shake, but only when they're loaded up, only on acceleration. Okay, so just an example of something that might trick us, but doesn't necessarily trick the computer. Uh, one other example of this, uh, this was on an older vehicle. I think it was an older Chrysler with the 5.2 liter. The engine was really, really shaking badly. And the customer's like, this thing's got a really bad miss. And I thought it had a really bad miss. And I did my power balance test and I could not get this shake to go away. Compression all seems good. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And I did a lot of fumbling around and digging around, and what I ended up finding out was that the rubber on the harmonic balancer had actually split, and the weighted portion of the balancer had shifted in reference to the crankshaft. And so this was causing a heck of a shake. You know, it's a harmonic balancer, and it was doing the opposite to the engine, and it felt like a misfire 100%. But using some of the other methods uh, that we talked about and are going to talk about, I determined, well, this thing is not missing. What's causing this vibration? And it ended up being the balancer. So we can run into some weird stuff like that. Uh, just some examples. There are others, of course. All right, so now we covered all that. Uh, again, a lot of that's basic. You probably know a lot of that. Um, I want to talk about something that I do personally. Um, it, it helps me work through uh, some challenging problems and that I do with my students at the college as well. I think I've talked about it on the show before, but it's called mind mapping. And what we do, and this is especially beneficial to the students, is I you know present them with theoretical problem. All right. Single cylinder misfire is probably <laughs> the one that we should go with here. And you start at the top and you write down, okay, single cylinder misfire. And then what you do from there is you're using the process that you have in your head, you know, your own personal knowledge about the subject, about misfires. And now you're going to break this down into some subcategories. And of course, they'll be pretty general to start. But what are we going to do for misfires? We're going to do air, fuel, spark, and then maybe have a fourth category for not real, you know, a sensed misfire like we talked about with a crankshaft relearn and stuff like that. So we got four categories. And now from there, you're going to break this down into more detailed categories, right? So if we were to take spark, for instance, we'd say, what are the possibilities for spark causing a misfire? Well, of course, no spark. You could put maybe weak spark or you could put uh, spark at the wrong time. Right? Those are all possibilities of what could cause a misfire. And then you break it down from there even further. You go even further into that, more detailed into that. And you might say for no spark, you'd say, okay, maybe it's a coil. Maybe it's a spark plug. Maybe it's a boot. Maybe it's a wire. 
distributor cap if you're working on something older, right? But really what we're doing is we're creating almost like a trouble tree, almost like a flow chart, but it is based off of your personal knowledge and understanding of a specific concept. And what this allows you to do, what allows the students to do and me to do as their instructor, uh, but even when I make my own, is to help me identify my own limitations and misconceptions, right? I might get to a point where I'm like, boy, I don't know where to go. Or maybe I'll write something down and then I'll really think about it. I'm like, well, you know, that really doesn't belong under this category. And what you'll find is this not only is really good to help understand your own process, understand your own knowledge on whatever subject this might be. I mean, you can do this for a crank no start. You can do this for a low power. You can do this for lean condition, rich condition, network problem, whatever it is. It's going to allow you to put all that down on paper to look at it and say, okay, this is, this is my process, how I actually go through it. Right. And a lot of us do this on the job. We just think through the process. We have this flow chart in our head. We're considering the, the possibilities once we have identified, you know, one of these main things, right? Misfire. Okay. What are the things I'm going to check first? Air fuel spark. You know, it's Jim Morton's thing where he says, you know, find your funnel and then stay in it. And this trouble tree, if you will, each one of these is kind of like a funnel. We identify a broad category and then we're going to go more detailed and more detailed. And once you're in that funnel, like Jim Morton says, you stay in your funnel um, until you find the problem. You don't jump out and you know go to a different funnel. That's where uh, you're going to eat up a lot of time. But having this down on paper, taking the time to do it, um, I think is a really helpful exercise for everybody, not just students, um, especially if you struggle with a particular area or a particular fault or vehicle. Uh, this can really help uh, with your personal knowledge. So I encourage everybody take some time, uh, whether it be a misfire or not, to go through this mind mapping exercise and put your thoughts down on paper. Take a look at it. I'll put an example up in the Facebook group so you can see what one of these looks like. And, uh, you know, I have the students make them up into actual charts um, and we go through them and they can use them in the shop too. You know, when you're experienced, you've been doing this for a while. Again, most of the stuff's in your head. You're thinking about all these possibilities because we have experience. But if you're new to this or you're new to a particular area, you can have this as a reference, right? I'm not a big flowchart guy, but having a reminder here and there sure helps to say, oh yeah, it could be this. Um, I'm glad I had that little reference chart available to me, you know, electronically or in my toolbox, whatever it might be. So let's go through just a few case studies here. Um, I won't take up too much time here. None of these are groundbreaking as far as the solution, but I just want to give you a real life example of some of the things that we talked about here uh, with misfire diagnostics and how I approach real vehicles. So first one's an Infiniti G35. This is a 3.5 liter. Um, I was called in because the shop replaced the catalytic converter and this thing is still running very poorly is what they tell me. Okay, cool. We'll check it out. And the cap being replaced is kind of a big hint here. Number one, that there's fuel getting to that cat. Now, what does that mean to me at the moment? I don't know yet, but if you have a melted down cat, it means fuel was getting to that cat at some point or another. All right. So obviously going to be focused on spark, compression, things like that, but we'll, we'll see what happens here. So check engine lights flashing. Things is running very poorly. Obvious misfire. All I have in the engine computer is a P0300 and there are no misfire counters. Nissan isn't very helpful with this. I looked in the mode six data. 
didn't see anything that looked like uh, misfire counters. None of it was labeled. You know, you go in in some mode six and it's actually labeled cylinder one, two, three, four. There wasn't anything like that. And I didn't see anything that looked like misfire counters. tests so i didn't have a whole lot to go on and it's the 300 and i'm like yeah i know that it's missing right now um so one of the first checks that i make on a misfiring engine is going to be a relative compression test but not necessarily with the scope i might bust out the scope depending on what i find but i'm just going to do an audible one first right and what i mean by that is disable fuel or spark or both, preferably fuel here. You can do a clear flood, which is just holding your foot down on the accelerator. Uh, That works on some vehicles, but not all. Uh, Most domestic stuff that'll work. So you can just crank the engine without it starting and just listen to the engine. And boy, (laughs) there's so many years where I didn't do this. (laughs) You know, if a timing was off, yeah, I could pick it out, but I wouldn't do it for a misfire. And once I started doing it, I'm like, why haven't I been doing this? Again, we're looking at a low cost test, meaning it takes almost no effort. And yeah, I realize there's some engines where disabling fuel and spark might be a little time consuming, but man, on ones you can clear flood, <laughs> this is such an easy test. Just crank that thing. As long as you got a decent battery, listen to the engine, see if you got any big dropouts. And if you have any inkling that the engine mechanical doesn't sound great, that starter has a little skip to it, unevenness in the, the cadence of the cranking, well, then you can bust out the scope, do the relative compression, go from there. But what I'm getting at here is I just want to do a quick check on the mechanical operation of the engine. This one sounds great. Okay, so I'm going to go into the scan tool and see if there's anything that can help me identify what cylinder I'm going after. Because again, Dead hole, misfire, but what can I see in the scan tool? And this is one thing I like to use, um, particularly in a V-style engine, is even if I don't have counters, I can usually zero in on one bank or maybe determine, is it the whole engine that's misfiring, you know, lean, rich conditions, something like that. But what I'm looking at is the O2s and the fuel trims, okay? And if they're all out of whack, okay, something that's affecting the whole engine, in this case... Um, it was not that that wasn't what was going on. There was only one bank that was off, right? So I'm looking at my O2s, I'm looking at my fuel trims, and they were actually negative pretty severely, which I'm not used to seeing with a misfire. You know, if you don't have fuel, they're going to be extremely positive. And if it's spark or compression, depending on the situation, sometimes the fuel trims don't change that much. They might go slightly lean, but I generally don't see them go rich. So I'm not sure exactly what that means, but here's the deal. It was only on bank two, right? So I got to zero in on bank two. I got to find my misfire that's on bank two, and then I'll I'll look at the trims later. Um, But now I've at least cut my cylinders in half that I have to identify. So check out those O2s, check out those fuel trims on a V-style engine. It might point you to the bank of cylinders that you need to go to. So again, I mentioned, you know, they had the cat that melted down. And so I decided in this case, I'm going to look at Spark first and I'm going to use my U-scope and I'm just going to do some secondary waveforms off of the coils on this thing. They're all accessible, at least the top of the coil is, and the engine's in a conventional setup where, you know, the belt drive is at the front. And so I can access all these coils very easily. And again, I'm focused in on bank two, um, but it's easy enough to actually check all of them here. So I look at the secondary ignition waveform on all of these cylinders, and it's pretty tough to explain secondary ignition waveforms in an audio only podcast. So, um, 
I'll include some links in the show notes to some YouTube videos that cover secondary ignition waveforms. I mean, there's there are guys out there who are way, way better at secondary ignition than me. Um, but what I can say is, you know, taking the time to do the training and then practicing with it, uh, you can get really good at identifying what's good, what's not, uh, what's actually happening within the cylinder. Right. Um, but anyways, I want to look at my secondary ignition waveform. And one of the good things about secondary ignition on, on any engine, really, (laughs) unless it's a one cylinder, but we don't work on those is you almost always will have a known good to compare it to on that particular engine, right? Especially in the case of a misfire and maybe not in a no start, but in a misfire, you've got some other cylinders that are pushing that are running that engine. Compare the spark line on those to the, you know, the cylinder that you suspect is misfiring, or maybe you don't know which one's misfiring, but check them all and see which one is the odd man out, right? And that's kind of what I'm doing here. I just went to all six cylinders particularly focused on bank two, but I want to see what they look like. And two cylinders look very different than the rest. Again, this is hard to describe via audio, so I'm not going to go into detail of the waveform, but they look very different. They look very odd compared to the rest of the cylinders. Okay, so I potentially have two cylinders that are misfiring, and they do happen to be on bank two, and it happens to be cylinder four and cylinder six. So the middle cylinder and the rear cylinder on bank two, which is the driver's side of the engine. Okay, so do I have a couple coils out? Do I have a couple spark plugs out? What's the deal? Well, what I want to do real quick is just to see a quick manual power balance test that I mentioned, just to see do either one of these have any contribution to the engine. I unplug both of them. Nothing happens. There's no RPM change uh, for four or six. So I've confirmed, okay, there is definitely misfire on these two cylinders that just happen to be right next to each other. And the only reason I knew this is from experience because I struggled through it on a Ford Escape one time. When you have two cylinders that are right next to each other, that are both misfiring, um, you always need to check, is it possible that either the injectors or the coils could have been swapped, meaning not the coils themselves, the connectors could have been swapped. Is there room for the plug for number four coil or injector to be able to be plugged into number six? coil or injector, right? I realize the coil connector is not going to plug into the injector, but I'm saying this could happen on either the injector or the coil, the ignition coil, uh, depending if there's enough harness room for one to go to another, right? The plug-in's the same. It's really, it needs to go to the right place. Well, after looking at it, you can, you can tell, you know, you work on enough engines, you're in, you're under enough hoods. You can see how harnesses are supposed to be routed and how things are supposed to be positioned and if they've been moved around. And this one obviously had somebody had been in here for something or another, who knows what, but four and six plugs for the coil had been swapped. It was really a visual inspection and some personal experience that allowed me to say, okay, we got two cylinders, the sparks happening. And maybe I didn't make that too clear. Spark was definitely happening on four and six, but it looked very different from the rest. Well, it wasn't sparking during compression. It was sparking on whatever other stroke of the four stroke cycle on four and six, which does not allow for, you know, combustion to actually occur. But the spark line is going to look completely different than the other cylinders who are sparking under compression, right? So anyways, 
swapped the two plugs, got rid of the misfires, thing ran great. And we know why the cap melted down. So easy enough and check for that because I've seen it on injectors, I've seen it on coils. You're going to get two misfires from it, of course, but they're going to be right next to each other in most cases. All right. So that was kind of a spark and a spark occurring at the wrong time. Let's cover an air or compression issue. Uh, this was a 2007 uh, Chevy Tahoe and 5.3 liter with the AFM. If you work on a lot of these, I think you could probably tell where this one's going. Anyways, um, misfire on cylinder six. Okay, so that's on the uh, passenger side of the vehicle, third cylinder back. Um, and that is one of the AFM cylinders, meaning it is one of the cylinders that is shut down when they turn it into a V4 mode. So again, you probably know where we're going with this one, but it was it was a little bit interesting anyways, how it presented itself. So again, you know, it, it always used to be when I was going for a misfire that I would go after spark first, right? It was the most common thing. This is back in the, the mid 2000s. It always seemed to be the most common cause of a misfire. So it'd be the first thing that we check and without scopes, the easiest thing to check, right? Maybe swap some plugs or coils around or whatever. But Nowadays, mechanical is going to be the first thing I check for every misfire diagnosis. And I recommend you do the same. Again, we're going to do that audible crank and compression test. And I did that on this one and I didn't really hear anything. But again, because I know the motor, I know the failures. I'm like, well, let me do a relative compression just in case. Okay. Because maybe there's some cam issues. Maybe there's some lifter issues. Let me give this a shot. And the challenge with this vehicle is the battery was dying. Um, imagine that on a general motors. Um, so I put my jump pack on there and I cranked it and I listened to it and I looked at the relative compression and it was pretty even across the board. I did not see any big dips in it. Okay. So maybe this isn't mechanical. Uh, now the shop had already swapped around plugs, coils, wires, injector. Okay. So that, that covers a lot of ground for me, but you never want to assume anything. Let's look at this thing running. And of course running, it is misfiring dead hole. Number six counting up. Do my manual power balance on six to confirm that's the actual cylinder that is misfiring. And it is, it um, has no change when I unplug the injector on number six. So I know it is actually misfiring. So let's look at spark and let's look at fuel and see what's happening. I look at the voltage for the fuel injector. Looks great. I see a pintle bump, meaning there's physical movement inside that injector. I want to see that. And I look at the spark on number six and it looks pretty good when I'm only looking at cylinder number six, right? I'm just clamped around the ignition wire that goes from the coil to the plug. Uh, the waveform looks pretty good uh, from what I'm used to seeing. Uh, so I have spark, I have fuel. And from what I could tell, I had compression, right? What I did next was I wanted to look at the spark that I had on there and compare it to the other cylinders on that bank, right? Because like I said, sometimes you need to look at the other good running cylinders and compare it to the one um, that you have. And that's what allowed me to proceed to my next step um, was comparing it to cylinders eight, four, and two on that side. And although it looked okay, I mean, I mean a spark was definitely happening, the firing line for the, the, the spark voltage, basically the amount of KV that the coil had to output in order to jump that gap was actually much lower than the other three cylinders on that bank. Okay. So yeah, the cylinder's misfiring. So something different's happening in there, obviously. But what this indicates to me is low compression. Now I didn't see any hash in the spark line that might indicate like a valve issue. 
Um, but it definitely strikes me as a cylinder that it's not taking very much to fire that plug, meaning there's not a lot of compression on that compression stroke. So I need to look at this cylinder a little closer. So a relative compression test is good, but it's limited. In this case, it was definitely limited. So what I do is I put my WPS in number six. I want to see how's this thing actually breathing while the engine's running. So again, crank it. Sounds good. Once I start it though, oh, it, well, it sounds good and it looks good on the WPS, right? It's building 160 plus pounds of compression, which is for this particular engine, that's good enough. And it's pretty equal to the rest of them. Once it started though, once I actually fired it up with the WPS in there and looking at the Pico, the compression waveform, it immediately drops off a cliff, right? So we have good compression, good compression. And the shop said they tested the compression, which I believe them and they did. And it tested great on their gauge cranking. Once started, now this thing drops off a cliff. And I recognize the waveform immediately because I've seen this waveform before. Um, this is almost no compression. So you look at your compression tower and it's almost non-existent. And then a very, very deep vacuum inside the cylinder. It's going to a higher vacuum inside the cylinder than it normally would. Well, what is going to cause that, right? The piston's moving downwards. Well, what if we had a intake valve that wasn't opening, right? If we can't draw air in, we can't compress it. And we're also going to get a deep vacuum when that piston goes down on the intake stroke. And that's what I have. So after this thing fires up, it seems to me like the intake valve has stopped. Well, again, like I said, if you work on these engines enough, you know that um, they have problems with the lifters on these things. Now, my one question was, is this a solenoid issue, right? Is it because if the solenoid activates, it's going to shut down those lifters? Well, the exhaust valve was still moving. And I was able to tell that through the waveform because it didn't build up any pressure on the exhaust stroke. So I know that the exhaust valve was opening and it was, well, it wasn't pushing out much because it didn't draw anything in. But when the piston came back up on exhaust, it wasn't spiking the pressure in the cylinder. So the exhaust valve is moving, meaning that it can't be a solenoid. So the solenoid activates, it shuts down both lifters for that cylinder my intake valve is the only one that's not moving. Now, why is it why is it moving during cranking but not running? It has to do with the oil pressure. Obviously, we're going to have more oil pressure once the engine's running and when these lifters fail to collapse when they're not supposed to. That's what's happening here, but only when there's a specific amount of oil pressure going to that lifter, right? They receive oil pressure um because they're still hydraulic lifters, but they're only supposed to receive oil pressure to a certain port when the solenoids open in order to collapse them. So anyways, if I would have cranked this thing for a longer period of time, it is possible that I could have got it to fail during cranking and I would have seen it and heard it. But I think it was because of the weak battery and I'm using my jump pack, I did not crank it long enough. So it might be a suggestion to you if you're working on these, because I've run into it before where you crank, 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 and then you hear the lifter drop out. I actually think I had a case study on that. This one, I don't know how long I would have had to have cranked it to get the oil pressure adequate enough to collapse that lifter, but starting it did. And again, WPS pressure transducer in the cylinder was allowed me to say for sure, yep, I know exactly what's going on. And um, again, 
seeing the waveform, the pressures inside the cylinder, that's huge. Um, the other thing I could have done here is a pulse sensor intake and exhaust. Um, I didn't choose to go that way on this one, but you definitely can if you're looking for a mechanical issue. That's the way to go. Uh, you know, Brandon Steckler's got a really a lot of really awesome stuff on using the pressure transducers. Uh, check his stuff out if you want more information on that. All right, finally, one more, and we'll wrap this up. Um, this one was just kind of interesting, and I'll share the video in the Facebook group so you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, we talked air, we talked spark, uh, let's talk fuel here. This is an old 99 Saturn SL series. Uh, this is actually a school car for the college. We have cars that are donated, and they live a pretty tough life, <laughs> meaning that they sit out in the parking lot, they get started, they drive into the shop, they get torn apart and hacked up by students they get put back together and then they go sit outside again um so th there's a lot of sitting and this one's definitely seen some better days it's a 99 saturn so um this thing's running very very poorly i told the students well let's figure out why this thing's running so badly i mean it is a 99 saturn but let's let's see if we can figure out what's going on with this thing so again they do the compression checks, audible, relative compression. I always have them do multiple tests, right? Even if we've confirmed something, well, let's confirm it two other ways. And so I have them run through redundant tests on a lot of stuff, but I had them do relative compression. I had them do an audible compression. And it sounds great. It sounds pretty even uh, considering what we're working on. It sounds good. So the next thing, of course, we want to go after is fuel and spark, but maybe we want to figure out what cylinder is misfiring here and using the counters and using a power balance test, they were able to confirm that there was three cylinders misfiring on this four cylinder engine. Number one cylinder was the only one that was firing. And I'll show you the video. <laughs> we actually pulled the spark plug wires off of two three and four cylinders, two, three, and four, and the engine's still running. And if you plugged them in, it was, it was same thing. Those cylinders weren't doing anything. And I was actually pretty surprised. I couldn't think of a time I'd seen an engine run only on one cylinder, two cylinders. Sure. Uh, and you know, I've seen V engines run on only one half of the engine, but I hadn't seen an engine run only on one cylinder. And it was Running surprisingly well, I mean, obviously poorly, we knew something was wrong, but surprisingly well, considering that there was only one cylinder pushing this crankshaft. Um, so that, again, that was cylinder one. So, okay, what's causing three cylinders to misfire? Okay, let me check the spark, spark plugs, that sort of stuff. That all checks out. So let's go after fuel. And I have them do voltage check uh, on the control side of the injectors and we have a pulse to all four injectors but this is where scope comes in handy for stuff like this we look at the injector voltage waveform and on two three and four there's no pintle bump meaning that there's no physical solenoid movement we're getting the pulse or you know we're getting ground to the injector from the computer but there's no physical movement of the solenoid meaning that we have three stuck closed injectors okay and again these cars sit for a while that's <laughs> why this happened on this one it's probably not likely to come into a regular everyday shop but we were able to confirm that and of course i had them confirm it with a pressure drop uh, test with an injector pulse tool reading the gauge those three injectors didn't drop anything number one did okay so we replaced the injectors thing runs great so again more more just interesting than anything else but 
I'll show the I'll share the video of that in the Facebook group so you can see the thing running on one cylinder. And I realized we had the plug wires hanging out. Might wreck the coils, but again, school car, we don't really care too much. That's gonna do it for today. Hopefully you pick something up from that. I'd like to thank everybody again for listening. But other than that, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time. <laughs>